love for you now to take your Bibles and join with me as we continue in our study this summer in the book of James. And we are in that second chapter of James. And really from verse 14 through the end of this second chapter, it's really one complete whole. But there is so much here that I knew I couldn't cover it in just one study. So we'll divide this into two parts. And today we're going to be looking at verse 14 down through verse 19, an incredibly practical book, practical lessons. It's really the New Testament version of the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And here you and I find some very special words for us. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, And one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now that causes us to pause and think, doesn't it? Let's look to our Lord in prayer. My Father, what we do now is we come into your presence. and We realize that these are not mere words. This is God speaking These are his words, your words, to the then and the now, and what is to come. We find authenticity, we find integrity, we find the inerrancy of your word here. Where you are revealing principles about life, and you are pointing us to the ultimate one in life who died for our sins and on that third day was raised from the dead, Jesus. He's why we're here. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. We've come here to see Jesus and him only. Praying these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. It was my day off, and I stopped where probably some of you oftentimes stop when you're making that, that uh, journey at the Lake Forest Oasis. Pause to get myself a cup of coffee and then to keep on going. I was sitting down at a little circular table, and all of a sudden I heard some kind of disturbance, and And I looked off towards the restroom area, and there was an elderly couple with, I think it was, their daughter. They very clearly were German. I speak broken German. I speak broken English, too, for that matter. (laughs) But I was picking up on some of the things that they were saying. It was was clear to me that there was some form of dementia in in the elderly man because they tried to get him near the men's restroom, but as soon as they let go of his hand, he would begin to wander away. 
And they tried to bring him back, only that he would wander away again. And so I came up, walking up to them, and I said, can I be of help? And they looked at me, and of course, there was a quizzical look on their face. I, there I am in my beard and leather jacket, jeans, and baseball cap, which my staff is very comfortable seeing me come in and out with. But these folks were somewhat dressed up, and as they were looking at me, I put my hand upon her shoulder and asked, can you trust me? And she looked at her husband. There was a a vacant look in his eyes. And then she looked at her daughter, and they spoke somewhat in German about, can we trust him? And finally, they nodded their heads hesitantly, and and I put my arm around his shoulder and walked him in. And I just stood in the corner, waited until... He was ready to come out, took him by my arm around him, and just walked him out. They were crying, and they were hugging one another. They were crying because they had obviously just arrived in America. They were very confused, didn't know quite what to do next. But it was what was said as I was about ready to leave that seized my attention and guides me into this passage. Because in broken English, the elderly woman looked at me and said, Are you a Christian? These are the sorts of issues that James wants to address in these verses. What he wants to do is to produce through you and through me compelling reasons for people to begin to evaluate very carefully the significance, not only the cultural impact, but the true biblical teachings of Scripture as it relates to Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord. When people begin to wonder, what is a Christian and what does a Christian look like? Are they being drawn to Jesus through what we do and how we live? What kind of questions are we creating in people's minds about the magnetic involvement of the second work of the Trinity and his his substitutionary work on the cross for you and for me? What I want to do with that lady's question at the forefront of my thinking is to draw out for us this morning three significant distinctives of authentic Christianity, authentic faith in particular, that I think can have tremendous impact upon a culture which increasingly is viewing government as its God rather than the sovereign God as our God. Now, the first distinctive flows out of verse 14, and we're going to put it like this, number one. Authentic faith in Jesus Christ is made evident by our works. Key phrase, made evident. Question, how? Answer, by our works. Where do you turn to get that distinctive? Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone, circle this word, says... He has faith, but does not have works. Now, he is asking a value question at this point, isn't it, when he uses the word good. What good is it? Is it profitable? 
If so, in what way? My brothers. It means that he's talking now to believers at this point. This is his way of typically uh, drawing in other members of the family of faith to be engaged in something of significance. What good is it? He poses, my brothers, in the form of a question. He's going to pose two significant questions here in verse 14. They're going to require a quality answer from the believing community. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, you've circled that word now, he has faith, but does not have works. Now, we are well familiar in this congregation with the fact that salvation comes by putting faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone for our salvation. Romans 5, verse 28 says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So then, if that's the case, how are we to understand this first of the two critical questions that James is posing at this point? John Calvin, in the midst of the Reformation, made a statement that is critical to understand how faith and works come together. He would say, we are justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. We see the relationship of faith and good works is one that can be distinguished, but never separated. If good works do not follow our profession of faith, it's a clear indication, then, that we do not possess justifying faith. The danger is this. Profession of faith without possession of faith. Let me say it again. The danger is this. Profession of faith without possession of faith. To be able to say something, to communicate it verbally, needs to be held in correspondence with how we live it out visually. What we need to do is to present something authentically to a culture that is living artificially. And looking for substitutes. Now, Paul himself would help us to understand what this is all about in that classic passage in the book of Ephesians, where in chapter 2, verse 8, down through verse 10, he would then write, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. But read on. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So how do you connect Paul's teaching with James? Two sides of the same coin. 
Paul's teaching about faith and works pertains to the time before conversion. James' thoughts with regard to faith and works pertains to the time after conversion. And that is consistent then with what Jesus Christ himself would say with regards to all those who put faith and trust exclusively in him, Jesus Christ as Savior, Jesus Christ as Lord. Let your light shine before others, he said, so that they may see your good works and give glory to you. No. To your Father, who's in heaven. Do you think he's a Christian? She asked. They love one another, Aristides said to the Emperor Hadrian in the Roman Empire. They never fail to help widows. They save orphans from those who would hurt them. If they have something, they give freely to the man who has nothing. If they see a stranger, they take him home and are happy as though he were a real brother. They don't consider themselves brothers in the usual sense, but brothers instead through the Spirit in God. It was 1897. He was a physician in Boston. Dr. Grenfell had come to saving faith in Jesus Christ through the ministry 14 years earlier of D.L. Moody. But Moody was back to share the gospel in New England, and using Tremont Temple as his base, Dr. Grenfell sought Moody out in his hotel before one of the evening services. And he told Mr. Moody that he owed his conversion to him 14 years before. You know what Moody said in response? And what have you been doing since? Moody had it right. And what he was doing is very consistent with what Jesus Christ himself had proclaimed in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. What Paul had articulated in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, after Paul had brilliantly demonstrated that it's by grace that we are saved through faith, he did not stop there, but demonstrating and delineating a full-spectrum discipleship approach, then led onward to say in that we, in turn, were saved because as those who are of God's workmanship, we were saved to do good works, which is the result of conversion, not the basis for conversion. So now you're staring at this, and you're pondering that first question. Is my faith simply that which is a mere profession? Or is it so dynamic, so real, so viable, that it is a matter of possession? It has gripped me to such a degree that I, in turn, keep my grip upon Jesus. Here's your first question. Value question. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, simply verbalizes, his faith but does not have works? Which now leads you to your second question. Can that faith save him? 
So now what you and I have got to do is to realize that there are a wide range. There is a kaleidoscope of faiths in this world. Now the question is, and which of all those variations of faith truly saves? Because the saving faith will be one which is not merely verbalized. But furthermore, it's authenticated. It is credentialed by the fact that it is visual as well as verbal. So we find ways to minister to others. And in a culture that is looking for authenticity, this is it right here. This is as practical as it gets. Where they turn to government for all kinds of government-based programs and begin to create a deity out of government. Here now we have the scriptures saying who and where true deity is found. And now God wants to use his people subsequent to conversion to be able to provide the works that were meant to be provided via the church all along. And now the questions are beginning to be answered here. And we see how the apostle Paul is helping us to understand justification by faith. Faith alone. Why, that's legal. That's vertical. That's between the believer and God. But James talking about our faith being justified in the eyes of others, that's horizontal. That's social. What we do here, and as we look at this, is we are able to see that what Paul was describing there was faith in relationship to works before conversion. And you and I are saved by faith alone. James is describing the relationship between faith and works after conversion, and it's the works that authenticate, it's the works which give credential to the faith that we are proclaiming, and now all this fits together. Two sides, same coin, truth from God's word. So now you look at that, and you've got to ask yourself, is my faith, just simply a variation of the face of this world, simply a profession? Or is there authentication because it's true possession? Ira Eker, who was overseeing the Air Force movement during World War II, was asked to make a statement on behalf of the Allied forces as the Air Force was gaining ground, so to speak, in the whole realm of achieving success in World War II. There was a lengthy introduction before he was to get up to speak in Great Britain. People applauded endlessly, it seemed. He was a humble man, cleared his throat. When it was time to speak, here's what he said. Until we've done some fighting, I am not going to do any talking. When we're gone, I hope you'll be glad we came. What's he doing? He's saying that the basis, the authentication for them to have confidence will not be found merely in his profession. There's going to have to be a sense of inward possession of the fact that there is something of significance here. What Paul and James are doing jointly is saying Jesus is the one who is of significance here. And through death and resurrection... We understand that prior to conversion, we are saved by faith alone. Subsequent to conversion, it is the works 
which credential, which authenticate the faith that we have put in Jesus Christ, in him alone. We pull that together. We see the two questions. We see the common answer. Authentic faith in Jesus Christ is, number one, made evident by our works. Not secured by our works. But you see, it is made evidence, made evident, credentialed by our works. It was towards the end of his presidency, and I was watching Gerald Ford. I was in a crowd of people at the time, and there was a gathering. And there was a particular person from the press who was trying to make his way in because there was a credentialed area for those to be able to sit up closer. They weren't letting him go any further. And I saw the reason why he had forgot to be wearing his badge. He simply went out to his car, got his badge, and they let him in. Now, he was authorized. He was part of the press to sit in that area. But you see, there was no visual credential that he was wearing to allow him to sit in that area. You then, and I, who are under the authority of Jesus Christ, have to realize that what works do is that they credential us in the eyes of others that we belong to the one who is ultimate authority, the one who on the third day was raised from the dead. Authentic faith in Jesus Christ is made evident, number one, by our works. But here's a second distinctive. The number two, authentic faith in Jesus Christ is made distinguishable by our compassion. People are looking. They are looking for ways in which authentic, not artificial, authentic compassion can be offered in a world such as ours. It's magnetic. It draws people. It grips people, doesn't it? What does James do now? He's going to get us to begin to contrast the artificial from the authentic. He poses now an illustration. Think it through with me. If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, they're coming up short in this world. Got your pen ready? You're about to circle another word. And one of you says, where did we come across that before? We saw it in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Now to reinforce that question, now in the form of an illustration, verse 15, if a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. It's all verbal, you see without giving them the things needed for the body, question, what good is that? Circle the word good. Draw a line back to the beginning of verse 14. What good is it, my brothers? You circle that word good. Now again in verse 15, you get to the end. One of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Now, what this world needs is to recognize true value. False value is artificial. 
true value is authentic. Twice now he has used the word says, profession without possession. Twice now he has used the word good, asking is this artificial or is this authentic? I'm not very good with plants. My wife would be the first to tell you. I was given the task of watering her plants. Bad move, you see. Because for some odd reason, she had put a few artificial plants in the midst of her real plants. I watered artificial and authentic alike. I couldn't distinguish. Now, here's the challenge. We've got to be able to create a distinction in this world. Because this world, by and large, is embracing the artificial. The Christian's got to bring the real into it. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you simply says to them, go in peace, be warm, filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, value question, what good is that? As a Samaritan makes his way down the road and sees that the religious establishment has not stopped to minister to that one in need, Jesus gets the attention of the people around him when he reveals that it was the good Samaritan that was the one who was willing to step in where the religious establishment was unable and unwilling to do so and give of himself for the sake of the other. And Francis Schaeffer validates his writings with the way he went about living. In about the first three years of Labrie, all our wedding gifts were wiped out. Our sheets were torn. Holes were burned in our rugs. Drugs came into our place. People vomited on our rugs. How many times have you had a drug taker come into your home? Sure, it's a danger to your family, and you must be careful. But have you ever risked it in this world? If you have never done any of these things or things of this nature, if you've been married for years and years and had a home and none of this has ever occurred, if you have been quiet, especially as our culture is crumbling about us, if this is true, do you really believe that such people are going to hell? You see, Schaefer backed up his writings with his living, words and action combined at Labrie. And what we now find here is that we are being engaged to this distinction between artificial faith in verses 15 and 16 and now authentic faith found in verse 17. Here's his conclusion. So also in verse 17, faith by itself. It's merely profession without possession. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. As Calvin put it, we are justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. That the relationship of faith and good works is one that may be distinguished from one another as it pertains to conversion but not separated from one another as it relates to your growth in Jesus. If good works do not follow our profession of faith, it's clear 
a clear indication we don't possess justifying faith. He's saying it's dead. Not merely outwardly. It's dead. It's dead inwardly. And so in the midst of these summer days, if you are looking at your various trees and it's pruning time, and you're looking high and low and analyzing each and every angle, and you're going to see dead branches in the midst of the greenage. You cut out what is dead so that what is alive can flourish. And there will be no infestation as a result and disease associated with that tree. For you see, when deadness and aliveness coexist, then the artificial and the authentic seem to coexist, and the world can't quite figure it out, what's real and what's phony. And then they look for alternatives of faith because they can't seem to find it in the real Christian community. But those that are truly under the lordship of Jesus Christ understand the relationship of all this and the distinctiveness of all this, and realize that it's the works which authenticate the faith and point people in the direction that Jesus would have us go, that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. We are saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. And what we do is we credential our faith by our works, which leads us now to this third distinctive. Because thirdly, authentic faith in Jesus Christ is made observable by our convictions. Look at verse 18 and 19. But some will circle that word, say. At this point, we're getting tired of these empty confessions, aren't we? Authentic faith is not indistinguishable, it's distinguishable. Authentic faith can be distinguished from the artificial. But in the realm of all the verbiage, in verse 18, someone will say, and now for the third time you've circled that word, you have faith and I have works. What do you do with that? Well, what does James do with that? Notice now there are two words he wants for you and for me to circle in essence in contrast to all this verbiage. It's the word show. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. What he is doing at this point is saying no, I don't want you to believe or think that I am saved by works. I am saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. But I will credential my faith. I will give you a reason to believe there is true faith. And you will see it through my works. And you know what he's doing at this point? He's saying that ours is not merely an intellectual, mind-oriented faith. It is a personal, real, heartfelt faith that impacts this culture for the glory of God. Paul commended the church in Thessalonica with that very thought, where he offered a triad of distinctives about them. 
where in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3, he wrote, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here at this point. And he's making it so real that the culture now is saying, I better look a little more carefully at what Christianity has to offer, but we're not done yet. Now he makes me think. And he forces all of us to reevaluate our faith. Is it merely intellectual, or is there something vital, real, personal here? When he says in verse 19, you believe... You believe that God is one? Well, he's talking to Jewish Christians, of course. And he's taking them back to the Jewish Shema. The Jewish Shema found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is penned in a way that was to be memorable within the home. In Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, Moses wrote, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, The Lord is one. What strikes me is that the one is in the plural, in the Hebrew, which means there's more than one in the one. He's already setting us up for the Trinity. Preparation for the second member of the Godhead. You believe that God is one. If you love Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you believe that. But here, then, is something that grips my attention, my heart. Even the demons believe that. And shudder. And now I say to myself, Highlander, what's then the difference between your faith and a demon's faith? What distinguishes you from them? In Matthew 8, verse 28, when Jesus came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? They have intellectual faith. I would argue that they are even Trinitarian. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They have a Trinitarian creed, but they do not have a saving faith. The danger is we could have a Trinitarian creed, as we should and must, yet lack a saving faith. If it's all creedal, yet not personal, we're five minutes off the hour. And it's artificial. It is not real. We've got to understand here, we've got to make it personal. So it creates questions, forces people to think. Authentic faith does something artificial faith cannot. Authentic faith in Jesus Christ is made evident by our works. It credentials. Authentic faith in... uh, In Jesus Christ, furthermore, is distinguishable by our compassion. 
Authentic faith in Jesus Christ is made observable by our convictions. What's the difference between Highlander's faith and a demon's faith? If even they are Trinitarian. Unless my faith is a saving faith. And it is revealed by my works subsequent to my conversion. Which begs the question. As a German woman looks at me. As I walk away. Do you think? He's a Christian. Question. Are you creating such questions in this very confused culture? The answer is Jesus. Let's stand together. We don't want to live in isolation from this culture. We want to be so engaging intellectually compassionately that we can lead people visually as well as verbally to the magnetic attraction of the cross of Jesus Christ where the ultimate substitution occurred. Jesus dying in our place. To be credentialed three days later by being raised from the dead. And our works credential our saving faith. So, Father, with our badges attached, what we want to do is to re-enter into the culture in the days to come, engage people with where they're at, be the means, the bridge by which people get closer and closer and closer to authenticity rather than artificiality until they realize that it is Jesus they need and they're drawn to him and give glory to our Father in heaven. And for this, we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.